Good morning, Coconut Creek. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us here today. Uh, before we kind of dive into today's message, I just wanted to say something about uh, the immeasurably the more um, event coming up here on December the 10th. Inside your worship guide are, are a couple things, just some information about what, what's kind of going on, what this is for, and also an envelope that's blue like this for the immeasurably more offering. And, and here's the deal. Uh, we love the next generation of our church. Uh, we, we invest heavily in the next generation. Uh, we're building our church, honestly, on your kids. We're, we're believing in them, and we want to see God do incredible things, not only uh, in their lives in the future, but in their lives today. And so we feel it's really, really important to create places for them and spaces for them that are culturally relevant and sensitive to their age graph, age demographics and, and everything. We want to make this the, the funnest place they come to uh, during their week and that it impacts their lives not only on a Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. And, and so we can partner with you together on that. And so on December 10th, we're having a special offering for that and for our building project. We're believing God for $300,000. I know that that sounds like a lot of money, but we have a God that is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And so we don't, we don't ask you to give. What we do is we ask that you pray. And so we ask that you take these things home and sit down as a family, as individuals, as singles, as marrieds, as whatever, and pray and ask God. And uh, we just ask that you to be obedient to whatever God says. If God says, uh, do this, then do this, whatever this may be. And I believe that if we do that, that God will absolutely blow our minds and we'll see him do some incredible things. Also, I'd encourage you, go drive by the property. It's on University Drive, just north of, of the Sawgrass, or, or the, yeah, the Sawgrass. Sawgrass, is that right? The Sawgrass Expressway. Sorry, everything's a turnpike here. Um, just north of that, man, there's, there manholes are in, water's being run. It's all kinds of exciting stuff. Uh, it's exciting for me. Preacher and I go out there every day. He pees everywhere. It's awesome. It's, he's marked it. It's his. Uh, and so uh, we go out there. We pray. We dream every single day. And so I encourage you, go out there, dream, dream pray, because you know what? Your, your lives and your friends' lives and your kids' lives are going to be impacted out there like never before. And so it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. So uh, right now we are in a, a, a couple weeks series, and we've called this series called The Dilemma. We started it last week, and we have been studying out of the book of Daniel, and the, the premise for the series is this idea that there is this dilemma that we have going on in life today. Uh, on one side of it is, is, is how do we stand firm in what God says and, and truly believe what God says? And on the other side of that is how do we love well in a culture that is continuously changing and moving more and more ungodly every single day? And I believe that Daniel gives us a roadmap, gives us a way to really live that out because I think we're living every single day with an either or mentality. Like either I've got to stand firm in what God says and, and people are gonna hate me and I'm not gonna be liked, but I'm gonna get to heaven or I'm gonna love well and, and I realize that culture is probably gonna reject God's word. So I need to change it. I need to manipulate it a little bit so it fits what I'm doing so that they'll accept it. And, and I don't think it's an either or kind of dilemma that we face. I think that God says we can do both we can love well and stand firm at the same time and not only survive culture, but impact culture at the same time. And so today I want to start off by, by kind of setting us up a little bit with a choice because every single day we have a choice and one of two things are going to happen in our lives. And, and here's kind of the, the choice that we have that we get to make. We either get to set the culture around us or we're going to reflect the culture around us. 
We can either be a thermostat or we can be a thermometer. We can allow the culture to determine where we are in life or we can choose the temperature of the room and let everybody else adjust to it. And I believe that God has not called us to be a thermometer, but God has called us to be a thermostat. I think that God has called us to set culture. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. Let your, your light, let your life go out and reflect and shine bright before others that they can see your good deeds. And what they'll do is they'll glorify God. So you're setting the culture that, man, they're going to see God through your lives. And because they see God through your lives, they're going to glorify God. And I believe that God is not calling us to survive culture, but he's calling us to influence culture. He's not calling us to run away from culture, but he's calling us to run into it and have an impact. That's why Jesus, uh, on the day before he was to be hung on the cross, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John chapter 17, pray to prayer. And there's the, the, the entire prayer is in John chapter 17, but there's two verses in particular that I think are pretty important that go to this. And Jesus says this, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, which honestly would be my prayer. God, just get me out of here. Anybody else ever feel that? Like, come on, Jesus, just come back right now. That would solve a lot of my issues right now. I wouldn't struggle. I wouldn't fall. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, let's just get them out of here. No, he goes, no, 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 no. My, my, don't take them out. I, and I understand, like, our Christian mentality is let's all just gather in here and kind of huddle in here because it's safe, it's cozy. We all believe the same, isn't that? I mean, that's what happens. And so what happens is the church insulates itself. And Jesus says, man, I don't want you insulating yourself. I want you out in the world, impacting the world. So he says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So he says, hey, I want you in the world, but here's the deal. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. Then it goes, they, referring to us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, us as Christians are not of the world, even as I am not of it. But yet, we're still in it. Not of it, but we're still in it. And I think that this is the challenge that we all face in life. How do we live in the world and not become a part of it? And then how do we influence the world in the midst of of all of that. And so today what I want to do, and this is, I'm just going to give you the 411 right now. This is going to be a little bit heavier of a message. This is not the norm here, but I felt like this is so critical for where we are as a culture and as a people that if we don't understand some of these things, man, we're going to be taken, like stuff is just going to blindside us over and over again. And we're going to go, why is that happening? And I believe that if we can expose some things that are going on that we can learn and we can see and we can navigate this life. And so what I want to today is what I believe is one of the biggest culprits to an ungodly culture. And, and I want to expose this mentality that I think most of sin and evil kind of pervades out of. And, and what I want to call it today is I want to call it the Babylon mentality. It's called the Babylon mentality. And the book of Daniel is set in the de demographic location of Babylon. Now, Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq, but I would submit to you that Babylon is not a locality, but it's a mentality that we take on. 
It's a spirit that uh, has existed from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and it still exists in our culture and in our world today. And, and part of what I want to do, and part of my job as a pastor is to do what Ephesians tells you tells me, is to expose the fruitless deeds of the enemy so that we can see what Satan's end goal is. We can see the moves that he makes so that when we see him, we'll go, oh, I see what's going on. And we don't fall into those temptations. We don't fall into those pits and stumble, but we can move around it and go through life and not fall into the traps that he says, because Satan has been using the same laws over and over and the same traps over and over and over again. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, the first kind of encounter with Satan on the earth, he comes in the form of a serpent before Adam and Eve. And what does he say to Adam and Eve? What is the law that he kind of sets out? He says, he says, did God really say, knowing exactly what God said, and then he says, listen, if you'll eat that fruit, you'll be just like God. And so right away, he starts getting them try to question God and elevate themselves. That's what he does in life. He tries to get us to question God and then elevate ourselves. Man, does God really say, and if you eat it, you'll be just like God. All of a sudden, we're bringing ourselves up. And so Satan has this lie that he's telling all the time. And the lie that he's telling is, is his lie is, is, I'm all about you. I'm all about you. I want for you what you want for you. I want to make you happy. I want to give you everything you want. And God, man, what he wants to do, God is all about himself. And so he's trying to hold stuff back from you. And Satan has been feeding mankind this lie over and over and over again. In fact, if you were to move a couple chapters to chapter 11 of Genesis, you would run into a story called the story of the Tower of Babel. And this people got together and they started building this tower. And this is what it says in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. They say, man, we want to elevate God. And, and what they're saying is that we don't need God. We got this. We've got this under control. And, and what Satan is going is he's going, hey, listen, I'm all about you. I, I want you to have everything that you want in your life it, and, and make your life all about you because you don't need God. You can just put him in a box and when you need him, you can go let him out of the box and he'll come out and then you can put him right back in and it'll be all good. Just stay out of my way, God, and I'm going to live my life. See, Satan is banking on the fact that we're going to be all about ourselves. Anybody else ever find themselves a little selfish? Am I the only one? Okay, seven of us. Great, the rest of us. We're going to deal with lying next week. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> we, we all love ourselves. I want more of myself. Like, I want more for me. And he's banking on the fact that, man, if he can promote us, he can get us focused on ourselves instead of focused on God. And then in verse 9 of chapter 11, it says, This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. The word Babel literally means confusion. It is this deranged way of thinking that causes confusion in life. Now, now listen to me. If, if you follow a way other than God's way, what it's going to produce and what it's going to lead to in your life is this deranged way of thinking. You're going to have some confusion. You're going to have some chaos in your life. And you don't even need me to preach this to know that this is true because it's happening all over our world. 
All you got to do is look at three weeks ago what happened. A deranged, crazy man set up shop in Las Vegas and started mowing down concert goers. All you got to do is look at two weeks ago, a deranged, crazy man got into a truck and started running people over in New York City. And then the craziest of it all is last weekend, a deranged, crazy, insane guy, insane in the membrane, dude, goes out and mows down a church full of people. And that deranged thinking creates mass confusion. And I believe, unfortunately, it's a symptom of, of what is taking place in the hearts of so many people in around our country and throughout the world today. And, and I know some people are going to go, well, TJ, where, where was God in all that? I'll tell you where God was, exactly where we left him. We have uninvited God into our lives and into our world. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He says, man, I will hear them from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And I think that God did show up in first responders. Thank you so much to the amazing first responders that are out there. He showed up in a guy in Texas that saw somebody that chased some dude down and started shooting him. Like that was, that was God showing up in a way. But is this deranged thinking that causes confusion. And let me just say this. If you're here today and there's chaos and confusion in your soul, you might have been bought into this Babylon mentality. And the very beginning of your Bible has talks about this and also the very end of your Bible talks about this in the book of Revelation it talks about end times and all those things in chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation are actually uh, devoted all to this idea of Babylon and in fact, in fact in your notes there it shows a, a verse out of chapter 17 verse 5 where where in other words it's 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 talking about how everything ungodly has this root in this mentality. It's not just in the front of your Bible, it's in, your, it's, it, it's, it's in the back of your Bible, but it's also in the middle of your Bible. It's in Isaiah uh, chapter 47. In fact, if you were to look at the heading in almost every single Bible, it, the, the chapter heading for chapter 47 of, of Isaiah is the fall of Babylon or the humiliation of Babylon. And this is what Isaiah 47, 8 says. It says, now listen then, you lover of pleasure. He's basically saying people that make it all about themselves, people that become selfish in life. He says, lounging in your, and I would add your self-security. I don't need God. I've got it all together. I've got this on my own, God. I'll deal with it. Saying to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none beside me. And I would submit to you today that Babylon's motto is this motto of I am and there is none beside me. It's this completely self-centered uh, idea. And this has been the biggest trick of the enemy, getting us to buy in that it's all about me and thinking about me. And because it's all about me, I must know better than God. I must be able to judge better than God. Man, I would write better laws than God. I would, I would do things so much differently than God. God doesn't even have a clue what he's talking about. He should take some, he should take some pointers from me. Because what the Babylon mentality does is it causes us to elevate ourselves. 
What we say, it's all about me. It's all about me, myself, and I. And it comes in the forms of this self-adoring mentality. Think about it. We live in the selfie culture. Hey, that's a good angle. You know, what are we doing? We're to, oh, it, this picture is all, it's, it's a picture all for myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Instagram this story over here. And not only am I going to Instagram it, but I'm going to boomerang it. So only, only younger people know what I'm talking about right there. The focus is all on me. It's just this mentality. It's also self-building. I can do it without God. God, I'll let you know when I need you. But you stay tucked away until Sunday morning when I bring you out for an hour. But then you go back in your box at the end of that. Because when I don't need you, I'm just going to go and build this life on my own. And, and I'm going to build something great. And it's, people are going to look and go, look at what you built. It's part of the reason when prosperity hits America, nobody's in church. But watch what happens when tragedy hits. I remember September 11th. Uh, I was working as an executive pastor at a church. Our church sat about uh, 1,800 in our auditorium. We never filled our auditorium, but that weekend after September 11th, that auditorium was packed to the hilt. Why? Because we have this self-building mentality. And when we elevate self, we become self-indulging. When we say, I can just do what I want. It is this if it feels good, do it mentality. And it is this narcissistic, hedonistic kind of belief that, that feelings are the most important thing out there. I mean, why would a loving God tell me that something I feel isn't right? How could my feeling be equated as sin? Because I feel this way. No, you've just been self-indulging in your life. And so what happens is the Babylon mentality elevates ourself, which means that naturally if we're elevating ourselves, then we've got to lower God at the same time. We have to make God less than who he truly is. And I've got to put God down here. And that's exactly what culture does. Culture wants us to put God down and wants us to mock God. In fact, this, this whole idea of I am and there is none besides me is a complete mockery of Exodus chapter 3 where God says, I am that I am. The devil's not even creative enough to come up with his own terminology, so he has to debo God's terminology and rework it a little bit. And what he does is he goes, man, God, God's lower, which means that God doesn't love you. Because if he loved you, he would let you just do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be and say whatever you want to say and go wherever you want to go. What kind of loving God would, would call you out of something you feel in your heart? I mean, come on. That's crazy talk. And I think about God, and God is this God who lavishly forgives us unconditionally and calls us out of something, not because he wants us out of something, but because he wants a better life for us. So we bind to the lie that he doesn't love me and we, we think that God isn't for me. He's not on my sign. He's mean. He's outdated. He's old-fashioned. I mean, that stuff may have worked 2,000 years ago, but Pastor TJ, that stuff is out of date. 
And that's just a lie that we've bought into. And, and the lie is, is that we think that we know how to run a life and build a society better than God does. And we think that his word is not relevant. And, and I would tell you this, man. His word isn't here for him. It's for you. But if we do start to believe that, then, then we start to say, well, you know what? God wants too much from me. He just requires too much. And, and I would say only a loving God would call you out of your and forgive you and say, go and sin no more. And this Babylon mentality, man, it, it, it pervades life. And I believe that it's, it could be in some of us in here today, including the God that's up here speaking on, on stage. And my prayer, church, is that God would search our hearts and search our lives and reveal what's going on inside of there. And the best revelation of this whole mentality is found in Daniel chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar is leading the, the Babylonians, and he's in charge. And this is what it says in Daniel 4.4. 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at, the, at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, contented without God, prosperous. Look at what I've done. And he's, he's standing there, and he's admiring himself. And, and for time's sake, I'm just going to kind of tell you the story and throw some scripture in. Uh, but basically, he, he ends up going to bed that night, and he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees Babylon, and in the middle of Babylon, a tree starts to grow, and it grows, and it overtakes all of Babylon. It's luscious. It's fruitful. It's covering. It's, it's this amazing tree. And right in the middle of his dream, uh, the tree gets cut down. In fact, it, get cut, it gets cut down to the point where there's only uh, a stump and some roots left, and he wakes up, and he's, he's perplexed by this dream, and so he calls all the sorcerers. And, and all of his people that, that uh, see think, seers and says, hey, tell me what this dream means. And none of them can tell him the dream. And then they remember, oh, yeah, there's this, there's this young Jewish boy named Daniel. He, he, he interpreted some dreams before. Maybe we should bring him in. And all of a sudden, we start to see Daniel influencing culture of the day. And so Daniel comes in, listens to the dream, and says, hey, let me go and pray about it and see what God says. And so he hears from God. And when he hears from God, he realizes, man, this if I tell the king what this means, this could kill me. And this is what he says in Daniel 4:22. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. And then he goes, but here's what's going to happen. He skips down to verse 25. You'll be driven away from people and live like live with wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Basically, he's telling the king, listen, you're about to go crazy. Babylon means a deranged way of thinking or insanity. He says, listen, you're about to go insane. You better get ready. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And he goes, he continues on. He goes, seven times will pass, meaning seven years will pass by you for until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you, which I just want to stop right there because some of you are going through some difficult moments right now. It seems like your life has been cut down. It seems like you have no hope how there is, there is no future for you. Things have been destroyed. And I want you to know that God always leaves a stump. He always leaves roots because God is not a 
God who destroys things. He's a God of restoration. And he wants to restore some things in some people's lives. But we've got to change our mentality. We've got to change our stinking thinking, our deranged thinking, and start to see a little bit differently. He says, listen, you'll be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Like when you flip the script and you realize that it's not all about you, but it's all about God. And you need to stop elevating you and you need to start elevating him. Everything in your life will change. But he doesn't listen. Just like many of us, we're going we're gonna to listen to this and we're going to, oh, God, amen, hallelujah. Just saying. And he's out about a year later, standing on his porch, and he's overlooking what is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And he goes, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've created. And what he's doing in that moment is he's elevating himself. And he's lowering God. And it says in that moment that he lost his mind. And he went out and he started eating the grass like the cows of the field. And it says his nails grew out like the claws of an eagle. Dude needed a manicure and pedicure. And he went crazy. He literally lost his mind. And after seven years, in verse 34, it says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Notice when confusion goes away. When we lift our eyes to heaven, sanity becomes restored. And I would submit to you, church, today that, that we need our sanity restored as individuals. We need our sanity restored as, as a nation. We need our sanity restored in this world. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, I praise the Most High. He literally starts believing in God. And I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Basically, he goes, listen, I know that we think that we're great and that we did all this, but we did none of this stuff. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, Sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned. You need to know that when God humbles you, his goal in humbling us is always to bring us back to this place of restoration, to restore our honor and to restore our splendor in life. He wants that to return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. No matter how bad it is right now, God wants to restore you and make it even greater than it was before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because he does what is right. All his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So real quick, three things that I believe that we have to do if we want to see our sanity restored in these days. We don't not just want to live in culture, but influence culture. I think there's th three declarations, three I wills that we have got to make with our life to see that happen. And it comes right out of this scripture right here. The first one is this, is I will exalt God. Not just on Sunday, not just for an hour at church, but my entire life, I'm going to exalt and magnify and glorify God. My, 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 my relationship with God isn't personal. I know a lot of people say, well, my relationship with Jesus is personal. He's in my heart. 
Yes, he's in your heart, but he determined when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel for you to live it publicly. And a lot of us, we're, we're just having this, no, this is my private faith. No, no, no. Jesus called us to a public life. He says, listen, you're to go out and you're to magnify me and you're to glorify me and you're to exalt me in every single thing that you do in life so that people will see your light and glorify me. Now, what's interesting is, is, is I, I kind of get this a little bit now. I, I, like, I, I, I saw a lot of exaltation happening Yesterday evening, my, our, our staff and some guys that I'm in a group with decided that for pastor appreciation and my birthday this, this year, they got me some tickets to Notre Dame versus UM last night. And uh, yeah, that's, that's UM fans cheering right there. I, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. So last night was not a good, it was an awesome gift and a terrible gift all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? But I appreciated it and I, I loved it. And I, I, I went to this game and you know what? I saw exaltation happening. I saw people screaming their lungs out like my lungs are going right now. And screaming at the top of their lungs and throwing the U out and getting the, the turnover chain and being like, what's up? And screaming and shouting and going crazy. Going crazy out there. And I thought to myself, you know what they call those people? They call them fans. Then we come in here Sunday, if you were to scream and shout and raise your hands, you know what they call you? They call you a fanatic. Crazy to me. But I would submit to you that, that Saturday looks more like the book of Psalms than Sunday does. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to scream and shout and exalt some team that doesn't even know my name when there is the creator of the universe that saved my soul. He's going to get my freaking praise on. Oh, yeah. Jesus loves. Yeah. Golf clap. I mean, come on, guys. Seriously, that's, that's the best that we have for Jesus? Come on, let's exalt God. Let's magnify his name. Let's make his praise known. Listen, my dream is that someday, that, that like, because here's what I know, is when I was walking out at the end of the third quarter, because we already defeated at that point. <laughs> we probably could have left it in the second quarter, but that's a different story. Is, is even when I got to my car that was like 17 miles away, I could still hear them cheering for University of Miami. Yeah. My dream is that someday we would be in auditoriums and people would be like, what the heck is going on over there? Because in my homes and on the streets, I hear some people going crazy for something and they'll just come to church to watch us freaking burn for Jesus. Amen. 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 Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all are. <laughs> just saying. Listen, if, if you'll exalt God, I promise you there's no way you can exalt yourself. It's just impossible. And, and you not only survive culture, but you'll influence it. Secondly, uh, I believe that we have got to acknowledge God. Got to acknowledge God and everything. Nebuchadnezzar says, man, I realize your ways are right and true, man, and, 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 and I just recognize one of the things I recognize, I recognize that God's word is true. 
Even if they pass laws saying that, that this is something you can't read and certain bar, parts of this book are offensive to certain people, uh, I'm sorry, you'll have to lock me up because I, I believe God's word is true and his ways are right. And I'm going to acknowledge that. I also acknowledge that the only reason I'm standing here is because God looked down and saw some jagged up, messed up teenager and, and said, man, I might be able to do something with that. And he picked me up and he brought me down to South Florida, uh, particularly to confuse y'all. Because if y'all saw me up here and got to know me, then you'd realize God really is real. I recognize every single day when I wake up, I, one of my first things I do when I, when I get up and I, I sit in a chair and I, I thank God, I go, God, thank you for waking me up and giving me breath to breathe again. I recognize that that breath came from you and the lungs that made it happen, you created. Then every month when I, I give the first 10% of my income and I, I tithe because it, it's the Lord's. I also recognize and I, I have this prayer with God where I say, God, I, I, I return to you the first 10%, but I also recognize that the other 90% is yours too. You can have it. It's not mine. Like I acknowledge you. I recognize who you are. And I tell God all the time, man, I'll do anything, I'll say anything, I'll go anywhere, because at the end of the day, Jesus, I belong to you. And I acknowledge that I am your son, and, and I, I'm yours. And I believe that when you do that, culture can't touch you at that point, because they can say whatever they want about TJ, but it doesn't matter because I'm Jesus's. We got to acknowledge God and Remember him and exalt God. And lastly, number three, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. Write that word humble down and then circle myself. Then look up here at me. Because church, humility is coming. You can initiate it or life will initiate it. You can initiate it, or culture is going to initiate it. You can initiate it, or the enemy will initiate it. You can initiate it, or God will initiate it in your life. That's why the Bible says in James 4.10, humble yourselves. It's the implied you. You go ahead and initiate it yourself. Because you can choose humility or humiliation. You get to choose humility on your own. Humiliation gets chosen for you. Because listen, it, insanity is happening everywhere. sanity restored, fixing your eyes on God and going, God, I recognize my position and I recognize where you are. Changes everything because all of a sudden God gives you peace that surpasses all understanding that no matter how chaotic or how overwhelmed life may be, peace happens. 
when you humble yourselves, watch what God does because he doesn't leave you down in a ditch. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, you don't get up, God raises you up. And when he raises you up, he sets your feet upon the rock. This past week, I was back in Bradenton spending some time with, with my pastor, uh, Pastor Randy Bizet, and um, with some other pastors that we do this little group with. And, and we were sitting together, and we were just discussing life. And, and, and I've heard my pastor tell this story so many times, and he told it to me right before uh, we moved here to plant uh, coastal eight and a half years ago. And um, his pastor's pastor was a guy named Brother Roy. And he came from a church called Bethany World Prayer Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, this small little podunk city in Louisiana that ended up having this church with global, global impact. And it started by this guy named Brother Roy. And Brother Roy was the humblest guy. In fact, he, he just passed away a couple years ago. And He's the most humble man I've ever encountered in my life. He would say, he would preach some incredible sermon. You'd be like, Brother Roy, that was ridiculous. I can't believe you, blah. And he'd be like, man, can you believe what Jesus did? Like, he always deflected to Jesus. And right before Randy was getting ready to leave to start Bayside Community Church in Bradenton, Florida, he sat down with Brother Roy. and Brother Roy gave him all kinds of wisdom, but he left him with final thought and he said Randy a man on his face can never fall from that position and when I was leaving Bayside to come here I remember Randy sitting me down and going PJ a man on his face can never fall from that position stay low serve God serve people and make it all about Jesus and everything you do and I've tried to live with that wisdom every day of my life and I've, I've learned that Jesus is everything and PJ is really not anything and I want to leave you with one final thought is this standing strong in a pride inflated culture begins with faith guys bow your heads and pray with me.